Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, where we share just the message portion of our past week's service. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching, whether you're listening to it again or for the first time. Our current series is entitled, Knowing God After the Book of the Same Name, written by J.I. Packer. And now, this week's message. He created countless galaxies and the sun in the sky outside. He owns the air you're breathing and crafted the lungs you breathe it with. He's so big your wildest dreams can't fathom his size, but there are fewer grains of sand in all the earth than thoughts he has had about you. He's known you since before this planet was spinning. Isn't it time, right now, today, that you get to know him too? Knowing God. This is week three in our series of Knowing God from J.I. Packer. I was talking to somebody in between services about this book. It's been out, I, I think, probably in the 60s, maybe early 70s. I would say most every seminary that teaches, it's a Bible teaching seminary, is going to have you go through J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And I know Carson has actually brought it up too with the uh, the grow groups and grow group leaders, and not only just to go through that personally, but even to be a part of your discussion. We started this uh, with what we call our young guns. Um, you know the young guns. They are Carson and Cole and Isaiah and Tiffany and and uh, Casey. And then, but the the guy that brought the idea to to go through this book was. Uh, of Keith Kautz. And so Keith's going to be kind of batting cleanup on this particular series because it's one, this book has been near and dear to his heart and his spiritual growth as well. So you're going to hear a little bit more about that next week, but it has created some of the best discussion I've ever, ever been a part of, of just knowing God, knowing who he is, his nature, his attributes, his character, how he deals with us. Um, and hopefully we'll get a little bit better picture of that today. Today is about sonship. How does God ask us to approach him when it comes to sonship? In 1993, I, uh, Mary Kay and I came up here. We were going to start a church and we're thinking about starting a church and looking around and all that. Came across a guy that had already started a kind of core group together. I met him, a great guy, um, went back to Dallas. I got to thinking the long story short, I thought, you know what? I've been in the ranching business, farming, ranching business all my life. I've had four years of seminary. That doesn't make me a pastor. I wonder if this guy, and at that time, this, uh, the pastor of the, the, this, this church was 52 years old. And I thought, man, he could maybe, I could learn a thing or two from a guy like that. I called him up and I said, hey, wonder if uh, you'd be interested if you have ever thought about having a, an associate. And because uh, we felt called to Cheyenne as well. And, and uh he said, why don't you come up and visit? So we visited with a group. There's a small group of people there. And they said, yep, we like you. Go home, raise your support, come join us. At that particular time, that's kind of how you, you did with church planting. You go, and I thought, raising support, okay, how hard could that be? Uh, it's hard. Um, friends, family, everybody you know, could you say, hey, can you support me for three years as I do this, blah, blah, blah. And it was it was tough sledding. Um, we raised about $1,200 and... Uh, about three weeks in, um, Ken Malm, who's a part of that board at that time, called up and said, hey, how's your support going, raising going? And I said, well, 
it's tougher than I thought, slower than I thought. He said, well, we came up with $1,200 uh, from our end. Do you think that would help? It's like, after I fell over, got back up, I was fine. Yeah. I said, yes, that would be amazing. Huge boost. And so um, I asked him, I said, well, that's, that's an amazing gift. How, what prompted that? He goes, well, do you remember the guy in the, the uh, committee? He was the potato farmer and senator. And I said, oh, yeah, of course, I remember him well. And he said, well, he's the guy that, that uh, said, I'm going to get behind this guy and get him up here. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we got moved up here. And we did some, I did some other things as well besides those two revenue streams. But anyway, that's kind of church planting. But I said, I got to meet this potato farmer senator. So we drove out to Albin, pulled up in front of the cafe out there and, and met Richard Larson at Albin Cafe. He took us around to the potato farm. I knew, I knew farming, but I didn't know anything about potato farming. I was fascinated with every facet of it, the storage and every, you know, everything they do, the process. And uh, <clears throat> we spent a nice afternoon with him. And then Dick and I were getting ready to jump in our car and head back to Cheyenne. And, and uh, Richard was there, his arm hanging out of his truck. And uh, before we got loaded in our car, Dick said, uh, Richard, you were you were memorizing first John last time I talked to you. How's that going? And he goes, Oh, pretty good. He said, I about got it all memorized. And I thought like the whole book of first, first John. He goes, yeah. And Dick said, well, why don't you, why don't you say, say some of it to us or quote some of it to us. And, and, uh, in Richard goes, well, how are you going to know if I'm saying it right? I guess we got a seminary fellow here. He can, he knows. And I said, sir, I, I don't, I know a few verses, but I definitely don't know a whole book. He happened to just have a Bible right there beside him. He says, here, follow along. And I turned to 1 John. And Richard went through chapter 1, and I mean, just nailed it. I was like, wow, this isn't your normal everyday potato farmer. He went to chapter 2 and got through it and just nailed it. It's like, wow, this is impressive. Got to chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. I think we have it on the screen. And I want to read it. And when he got to the very last of this, his, his voice broke in a way of a person describing their, they lost a parent or they lost a child. I want you to visualize that. As I, and so he's sitting there, he's hanging out of his truck, pickup window. We're both standing outside and I'm watching along. And he, he, re, he gets to this part in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. He said that last phrase, and so we are, and he couldn't talk anymore. He was done. He has a way of kind of deflecting things, and he started kind of laughing. His eyes were watering, and he just started laughing and kind of watering. and says, well, I guess that's, that's all you're going to get for today. And what I got was a whole lot more. I got a, a picture of a guy that was so caught up in the idea that he could be considered a child of God that he couldn't even get it out of his mouth to speak it without tearing him up. I don't know if you came in here really wondering what it means to be a child of God. I don't think we preach on it. I don't think I preach on it enough. But I, will t I hope that as you leave today, you realize what it means to be a son or a daughter of Almighty God. Here's what J.I. Packer said, and I'm going to be using a lot of quotes from his book, and so I want to make sure to give him credit for that. But this is one of the things he said. 
If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. To understand Christianity is to understand God as our father. And you are a son or a daughter of his. I hope today when we're finished, you'll have a little better picture of what that means. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. I'm going to read a passage. This is uh, it's actually one of my favorite passages. It's the first passage I actually taught our kids. Uh, when they were young, we were in Dallas, and I was, you know, helping them with Bible memory, and, and we'd do this thing. I, I would call it rap, but it's really not rap. It just had a little rhythm to it. I mean, you can imagine me teaching. So it's like, but it was like, for all who are being led, and they, and they repeat it, by the Spirit of God, they'd repeat it. These are the sons of God, Romans 8, 14. I can still hear this in my head. Hope they can. Because I think it's one of the key passages to understand. If you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God, a daughter of God. For all who are being led. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Don't miss this about sonship. God's going to discipline those he loves. He chastens everyone he considers a son. It's, it's a part of the Christian walk that we really would like to ignore. It's like, well, if I'm a son of God, I should have all the goodies that, that are to the kingdom. And you do. And one of those goodies is his discipline because he disciplines those he loves. I knew a father one time that had all the means in the world. He had plenty of financial means. He made every one of his kids earn everything they got every time. Yeah, he would help out here and there, but he did not. It was not the typical kind of situation you might think where these kids thought they grew up in a house with a silver spoon. These kids worked. They knew the value of work, responsibility. And he made sure that they got that. And I'm sure at times that they thought, well, gosh, you know, dad, you could have easily paid for all of this. But he was treating them as a son that he wanted to become a productive adult. God disciplines us in the same way. He disciplines those he loves. He chastens. And that's why it says there at the end, we'd like to pass over this. Provided we suffer with him, we are fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Don't miss that key part of the Christian life. And that's why a lot of people bail on sonship. In this passage, we see three things. Sonship, we see adoption. We see heir. We're going to unpack these things today. First one is sonship. In verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This is how you know. You're being led by the Spirit, you're a son or a daughter of God. 
John chapter 1, verse 12 is, is another one of those passages um, that's important. It says, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, that he gave the right to become children of God. Now, Packer has this interesting quote. I think it will, we'll show that in a second. But Packer has this interesting quote. He says basically this, nowhere in all of scripture does God say that you are all sons of God. It's one of those things that I read and I just kind of tripped me up. And I think what he's saying is, is that just because you're born doesn't, you're not automatically a son. There's this passage you have to go through. And let's read it again. But all who re did receive him, that's Christ, who believed in his name, that's Christ, and who he is, what he did. He gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but, but of God. There's a time we're born physically, no question. But that doesn't automatically, according to Packer, make you a child of the king. It's when you receive Christ. That's sonship, daughtership, if you will. When he had that quote, that there, the idea that there are, I'm going to use his quote. He's a scholar, scholar. So you, he, when he says something, you can't just blow it off. You kind of go, you need to dig into it and understand it. But this is what he said. The idea that all children, all are children of God is not found in the Bible anywhere. In other words, just because you're born doesn't make you a child of the king. You have to be born again, born of the spirit to receive Christ. That's his point. I think it's an interesting point. I'm one that I, I want us to hold. Now, Jesus said this a different way to his disciples in, in John 14, 6. Uh, they were asking him, how do we know the way? How do we get to where you're going? Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a strong statement. You want to get to the Father? You want to get to glory? It comes through me, said Jesus. I am that way. I am the truth. I am the life. Packer says this in another way that I think is another stark kind of reminder of the intensity of what Christ means when he says these kinds of things. Here's what Packer says. The New Testament gives us two yardsticks to measure God's love. The first is the cross. The second is the gift of sonship. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have put that sonship up there that high. I would have understood the cross as a, you know, that's how God shows us he loves us. I get that. We sing about it. We talk about it. I get that. But the other one is the access to God through sonship. I don't talk about that as much. And I think I should. So how does this sonship happen? Well, it happens through adoption. Now, what's interesting in the Old Testament, when it comes to adoption, the Old Testament doesn't give us, in other words, there's no legal binding thing in the Old Testament as far as under, under Jewish law. Someone reminded me at uh, in between services that, uh, and this is actually Roman law, that if you would actually receive somebody into your home as adopted, you could disown your natural children. But if you adopted a child, you, that's yours, which is kind of a cool thing when you think of security, eternal security. It's like, you've been adopted as a son. You got me, God. That's, that's it. A, a Jewish guy or a Roman guy in that particular day could, could re actually uh, reject, apparently reject a natural born child, but an adopted child that one is yours. So it's an interesting picture that way. But as far as Old Testament law itself, 
And the, the, the Jewish rabbis would say this. This is what the Jewish, when I read this about what the Jewish rabbis would say about adoption. Jewish law aligns closer with British common law with, when, with which the importance of royal bloodlines and class meant that an adoption procedure was never introduced. Now, you got to think about this. The Jews were looking for one person called Messiah. And Messiah was going to come through a Jewish bloodline. In order to have a Jew, you had to have a Jewish mama. It has a Jewish bloodline. So these ideas of these, these, um, this passing this torch down, it's like, well, this has to be bloodline. We can't have this adoption. So there was no formal, according to what I understand, no formal Jewish law. However, if you look at Jewish application, there was a lot of adoption or adoption type things. So God shows us that this, he shows us the idea of adoption, even though in the formal law, the Jews maybe not have, maybe didn't have adoption, but the, he showed us in Moses, Moses was basically adopted by Pharaoh or Pharaoh's in that family raised in the, in the palace. Uh, Ruth was basically through herself at Naomi, her mother-in-law. And she, she says, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Right? That's an adoption of sorts. Turned out pretty good for Ruth. She married this rich guy from Bethlehem named Boaz. Their grandchild was the youngest of a bunch of brothers. You know him as King David. So here's a woman that was outside of the Jewish realm and was certainly grafted in and was a part of the, the bloodline, if you will, of the lineage to Christ through David. So there's this idea of adoption throughout the Old Testament, even though maybe the law didn't show it. I think another one, if you think of the book of Esther, Esther was raised by Uncle Mordecai. That was certainly an adoptive type of scenario. So we see models of adoption, even though it may not be formal. Now, in the New Testament, it is not only formalized, it's, it's essential for Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And if you're a Gentile to be a part of the family of God, you're adopted. Being adopted is a good thing. Adoption is a powerful thing. In fact, this is what Packer says. And this one kind of blows me away. He says this, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher than justification. Now, if you've got your Lutheran hat on right now, you might be a little bit frustrated and want to throw it at me. Well, I'll throw it at Packer. So what he's basically saying is justification by faith alone. That's what, that's what Luther did. That's a Protestant reformation. Luther was a Catholic priest and he was calling out the Pope and he said, no, you're not justified by paying money to the papacy. You're justified by faith alone because he went back to Romans and this is what it said. Justification by faith alone. Protestant Reformation wanting to reform the Catholic Church. They didn't go along with it. And so oh, but that's where the Protestants came from. It's like the, that issue. And Packer is saying sonship is bigger than that or adoption is. That's a strong statement. I kind of massage that through my mind as well. Justification, it means you're, it's something that's set straight. Like a bone's broken, you're born into this world broken, and he sets you straight. He set that bone straight. That's justified. You've been set straight by the blood of Christ. His, 
blood propitiated or snuffed out the wrath of God towards sin and made it possible for you to be set straight before God. Justification. But Packer makes this point. And I get his point. He said, pretend you, pretend you know of a, a rich man that was back in the days of uh, the Roman days. And there was this, there's this slave that was sentenced to death. The, the rich man could actually pave that sentence and redeem that slave off of death row and have him be a slave in his house. That's called redemption. That's where we get this whole concept of what Christ did. He, his blood purchased us because we were, we were headed for, for hell. We're born into this world. We're not born good. We're born broken. We're born into a broken, sinful world. And, and Christ came and he bought us back with his blood. He redeemed us. That's redemption. But keep this metaphor going with this rich guy. The rich man buys back that slave. He saves him from death, but he's still a slave. That's justification. You've been set straight, but you're still a slave. Not on death row, slave. You are a redeemed slave, but still a slave. He said adoption's different. Take that same rich man that's going to go and redeem this guy off death row. And he purchases him back. But instead of ins putting him in the circle in, in, in his, uh, his, um, his homestead as a slave, he's redeemed him to make him a son. As an heir of his very own resources. That's a different, that's why Packer says sonship is better than even justification. Justification, you can still be a slave. You can be set straight and you can still be a slave. Sonship, you're a joint heir with Christ. And it's a, points like that, we should, I hope that your mind just got just a little bit blown. Do you really mean that? Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's adopted us as sons, as daughters, as heirs of Christ. I'm going to read some verses here that may help, help unpack this just a little bit. John 15, 15, it says this, Jesus says this, no longer do I call you servants. Now he's talking to his disciples. This is toward the very end. This is, he was in the Kidron Valley, just to, it was toward the end of that week, right before he's crucified, a day before he's crucified. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant or a slave, that word is slave, doulos, slave. No, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. That must have blown those guys' minds. He's not calling them servants anymore. A doulos. You are now friends. Wow. To be a friend. He just called you a friend. Galatians 4, 7, 4, 4 through 7. And because you are sons, it says, Paul saying this, God has sent a spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. For if a son, then an heir through God. See the difference? Not just a slave, which would be great to be a slave in his kingdom. That's good. No, you're a son who is an heir of God. Those are strong statements that Paul is making here. And Abba, Father. Abba is a, is a tender word. It's, a, it's, it's more of an Arabic word that uh, 
It means daddy or it means papa. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm still, I'm not to the point of calling God the Father Papa. Uh, I'm still a little more, yes, sir, you say it and I'll go. I'll, I'll do it. I'm still a little more like that. I, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying I, he's given this access to him that we can call him Daddy. It's very tender. It's an amazing picture that I don't know if, if you, I fully, I, I get it, but I don't know if I fully understand and utilize it in the, the tenderness that it's meant. Ephesians 1.5 says this, he predestined, predestined and lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself as his own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his kind intention and good pleasure of his will. Packer continues on with his thought here, and he says, for everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the Old Testament, everything that is distinctively Christian, as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. When you understand that God is your father, you are a son or a daughter of the king, it it should impact every aspect of your life, your prayer life your access to God, life, the way you treat others, life, everything. Packer says this, I think we have this quote, Father is the Christian name for God. You remember in the Old Testament, he was, I am that I am. People fall down, right? I mean, it's powerful, and it had to be, because he's holy. He was trying to show in the Old Testament his distinction. I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm so much higher. I'm set apart. I'm holy. You have to understand what sin is, and he explains sin in the law. Sin is this, and it separates holy God from sinful man. In Christ and the cross, he, his blood propitiated that wrath that God has towards sin, and not only just satisfied that wrath, but it gave us an opportunity to be sons of God, joint heirs with Christ, his brother. Can you believe that? But those are the, that's the picture and the tenderness. And he says, this is the way I want you to approach me now. You can call me daddy. That's awesome. It's like a kid running through the throne room while his dad's on the, you know, calling out cases and doing all this stuff. And this kid's just being like, yeah, but that's my kid. That's my, that's when I was, uh, I was growing up, uh, my dad from 1962 to 1973, my dad was the head football coach and of, uh, of a, football, a football team in our small town. And we had a really good football team they had those years. They had some excellent head assistant coaches. Uh, one guy played, uh, several of the guys played college. One guy played at K-State. One guy was interesting. His name was Bill Dreyer. He, he was actually a track star at KU and threw discus with Al Order. Now, for those of you that don't know Al Order, he is a four-time gold medalist in the discus. That means he won the gold medal in, I think, 1964, and then 1968 he won it, in 1972 he won it, and in 1976 he won it. 16 years, covering 16 years, and he won the gold medal in the Olympics. Not bad. Bill Dreyer was his teammate while he was at KU in college, and so Dreyer had all these 
stories of Al order. And anytime Dreyer would talk, people would listen to him. He's a big guy himself, had a big voice. And he, when he talked, he's real distinct and deliberate and took a long time to tell a story. But when he told a story, you know, you pretty much listened. He's kind of a guy that demands your attention. Well, anyway, so he was still, I, my dad uh, resigned from coaching in 73 and I was 10, 10 or 11. And then, uh, but some of these coaches still coached and taught. So when I was in high school, Dreyer was still coaching. I think he coached track and he was also, he was also one of my dad's football coaches, but he stopped coaching football, but he was also the science teacher. And anytime I was around, I don't know why, but I, he just, this story just had to come out of him. So I've heard this story, I don't know, probably a hundred times. And so it kind of goes like this. He goes, you know, your dad, he could really get mad. I said, yeah, I know. I, I live with him. I kind of knew that. He said, one time we were on, the, so I was on this, uh, the coaches in those days had, they didn't have film and stuff like we do today. They, they had this, they, they called it uh, a tower. Basically, it's a, a platform. It's about 15 feet, I would guess, in the air. I don't know. It's got kind of a bar around it, you know, just to kind of a, so you don't fall off of it. But the coach would stand up there so he could look down and watch the play unfold and he could hit a better perspective. And so dad used that tower quite a bit. I remember being up there with dad on the tower. Um, but he tells this story. And I think as I calculated, I was probably six or seven years old. And dad saw something that was, and Dreyer would tell the story, he said, it was a big week, we were playing our rival team, and it was real serious, and your dad, you know, he could get mad. And and so, there's something that he needed to fix, and dad came down this, so there's a ladder, kind of a welded on to this post that goes up. It's not easy to get up and down, you kind of have to maneuver around, and you know, 1960s style, OSHA hadn't even been invented yet, so anyway. Well, anyway, so he's scurries down this ladder and he's down in the middle of the guys give him the what for about something he says your dad's face was beat red he was getting on those guys faces and doing all. he was telling me this whole story and he said and he kind of laughs he, he always chuckles kind of funny <laughs> you know that was his laugh and it, he said and you were up there in the tower hey dad dad i'm six or seven years old this could be child abuse the more you think about it 15 feet, no, nothing, nothing there. I'm way under that bar. Dad! And Dad's down there just giving him the what for because they didn't block something right or who knows what. Dad! And he turns around and says, what do you want? And I hollered back, I got to pee. <laughs> and Dreyer says, Dad went down to his legs like this and he put his head over his face. When he came up, he, had, he was just cracking up and the whole team just cracked up laughing. He said it was the best practice we had. <laughs> said the guys were looser the rest of the week, but went in and he continued to tell how he just thought that was the greatest thing that ever happened. And I had to listen to that story probably a hundred times in my high school years. <laughs> now here's another thing I want to ask you about that, that story. Do you think that just any seven-year-old kid that rode his bike down to practice could get the head coach's attention? Not a chance. I mean, not, not even a chance. Why did I have access to the head coach? He was my daddy. 
And he was in the middle of something that was way more important than what I was dealing with. What do you want? Does it make you wonder what it looks like for you in the, in the presence of God? He's got a lot of things going on. But as you're knocking and you're asking and you keep saying, God, what's, I need your help on this thing. He said to keep knocking, right? Jesus told us that. Because at some point, the father, because he's your daddy, he's going to get up and, and deal with whatever you got going on. Now, it may not be just exactly dealt with like you want it. You have to understand that. Because he is your dad. He's going to discipline those he loves. He's going to allow things to happen in ways that doesn't, you may not understand. But I guarantee you, you've got access to Almighty God in a way that, through Christ, in a way that I don't think anybody really fully appreciates or understands. Because he's your daddy. But not only that, but... Jesus is our brother. Now, this is a hard one to get my head around as well. I have these pictures of who Christ is and who I am. And the brother is a hard one for me. Mark 3.35 says this, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Remember this, this story that they, they came out? Uh, Jesus' mom and his brothers and sisters came. And we're going to see him. I think it was a Capernaum and Jesus was in and he's healing people and preaching. There's a ton of people and the disciples finally got to him and says, Hey, Jesus, your, your mom and your brother and sister are here. And he goes, who is my mother? Who is my brother? The one that does the will of God. That's my brother, my sister, my mother. So in other words, you're doing the will of God. All who are being led, remember, by the spirit of God. Those are the sons, the daughters of God. That's it. To be his brother. That's what he, Jesus said, that those, that's who we are. Matthew 28. As they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and he said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of him at his feet and worshiped him. And the, Jesus says, go tell them, go to them. Do not be afraid. Tell them, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now, this is an amazing thing. Right before the cross, like a 24 hours before the cross, he says this, you're no longer slaves, but I'm going to call you friends. After the resurrection, he says, go tell my brothers. I'm sure it would have blown them away. Go tell my brothers. But not only are we brothers, but the Bible says we're an heir. Romans 8, 16, I'm going to take you back. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. It's amazing passages, amazing claims of who, who we are in Christ. First John chapter three, verse two, beloved, we are, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, that's Christ, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, I don't know what that, what that's like. I've read about the resurrected Christ in the book of Revelation. We will be, ah, it's hard for me to get my head around. 
I see him as here and me way down here. And yet he says, no, you're my brothers. You're a son of Almighty God. You have access to the king because you're a son, because you're a daughter. In this chapter, um, Keith, when we got through, he had all these pieces of paper and he handed it out to us at the last time we met with the young guns. And he said, I just thought this statement from Packer was great. And he said, I've been putting it on my dashboard and I've been reading it. And he said, I, I think it might help you. I want to read it to you. This is from a quote from Packer. And then I'm going to ask you to, to read it with me. I'm going to go through it a couple of times. I want you to read it the second time with me. But listen this time. This is how Packer sums up this whole chapter. That I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. Now they know you not make that into a song, but if you can grasp the truth of this, and maybe grasp it every day. Some of you got your phones out. I'd take your phones out. Take a picture. Get, get, put that back up there if you would. Take a picture of this. I hope we can maybe even get this out on our social media as well. But go ahead and take a picture. Get it something where you can read it. I'd like for you to read it with me. Would you just, just read through this with me? I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. If we could, if we could get our heads around that, and if we could believe that, then we might be able to come to 1 John chapter 3 and come to that point that we are the child of God. He calls us a child of God. And that is what we are. And be so choked up. We couldn't talk anymore. I hope you took a step toward that today. I hope it chokes you up to think that you are a son or a daughter. Because that is what we are. I've had several people give me feedback. One of those feedbacks is, why don't we do the Lord's Prayer? I was like, I don't know. I believe in it. I like it. I don't know. We're going to do the Lord's Prayer together. Would you stand with me? And one of the things I like about the Lord's Prayer is it starts off with our Father. It, it sets from the very beginning. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. Here's how I want you to pray. Our Father. Right? It's, it's declaring sonship, daughtership in the very first two words. Let's pray it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Remain standing. And let's sing of this great hope, of this great God who makes us a son and a daughter. 
Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in this week's Sermon Cast podcast. Remember to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss any of our content, like our regular Cheyenne Hills podcast, where Pastor Galen Huck and the learned Nathan Winters discuss modern issues facing Christians today. Check out our church's website at CheyenneHills.org, download our app, and most importantly, be strong and very courageous. God bless you.